This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been doing therapy for 25 years, which I can't really believe. I started podcasting last year because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice and reach out to people who perhaps have been in counseling or have thought about counseling, but also to many people who might never consider walking in the door of a therapist. But you're a little curious about what it'd be like to talk to one. So I've been one for 25 years, so perhaps I'm a good example. Today we're going to be talking about a certain style of parenting. But before I get into that, I want to thank so many of you who took the time last week to rate or review self-work. I can't tell you how much it means to me when I click onto iTunes and I see there are a few more ratings reviews. And in fact, the last two reviews are so nice. Thank you, Dr. Margaret, for this podcast. Love your clear, straightforward, and resolution-based information. That's exactly what I want. I want to at least try to offer some ideas for solutions. What you can do about it is what I talk about a lot. And then there's this one. I love all of Dr. Margaret's podcasts and refer back to them in session with my own clients. That thrilled me, absolutely thrilled me. So I appreciate that. I have long thought that I'm really a conduit for the wisdom of the patients I've already seen and will see, I guess. What I mean by that is I'm simply passing on the very hard work and, again, wisdom of the people that I've worked with in the past and giving that wisdom to you. So thank you all for your ratings and reviews. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. And frankly, how motivating it is. So again, today we're talking about parenting, not abusive parenting per se, but a style of parenting that can really lead to huge problems for the children involved, be they young children or even adult children. It's when a parent can't let go. We're going to hear from a former Stanford dean of students about how you can tell that you're a helicopter parent, but there's a little deeper issue it's kind of psychology sounding, but it's called enmeshment, an intertwining of two or three or four people. And enmeshment can cause a lot of damage. It's more subtle damage than abuse, but it's still damage. And today, our regular feature, an email from a listener, is going to be about perfectly hidden depression. Can a teenager experience perfectly hidden depression? PhD or perfectly hidden depression is something I've podcasted about for several episodes. The first one being episode three and four actually is on it too, and then interspersed throughout the podcast. So it's a kind of depression that I've termed perfectly hidden depression because it doesn't look like classic depression. So if you're interested, there are lots of podcasts on it, and you can scroll through and find them. But on to parenting and enmeshment. You know, parenting is a very complicated job. 
I remember telling my husband when my son was about a year and a half that I was so glad we had videos of me and my son showing that I was playing with him and that I was having a good time because I felt like it was just a blur. I barely remembered it. Decent, healthy parents try to create a loving environment while at the same time supporting their kids and becoming what their own talents and characteristics guide them to be. Kids with these kinds of parents can do very well if they don't screw things up themselves with drugs or have some sort of innate insecurities or mental or emotional struggles that the best parenting in the world may not be able to prevent. Parents try, but our own insufficiencies are going to impact our kids, unfortunately. The parent who does the work for their kid, the parent who puts pressure on a child to intensely succeed, or the parent who is absent emotionally, all may not realize how their actions or lack of action can hurt their child. Our individual vulnerabilities become transparent in how we approach such a complicated task, as well as our strengths. It's very humbling. But it's not always easy to tell how your own problems are affecting your kids. In one kind of family, it's especially difficult. We've all heard about, or maybe some of us have experienced, helicopter parenting. These are parents who do way too much for their kids, trying hard to not allow them to fail. Many authors have tied it to rising depression in the younger generation because there's so much pressure to succeed academically, in sports, in music, in theater. Your kid is going to be the one who's the next Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift. Get into Stanford or any Ivy League school. They raise kids who don't know how to call for a doctor's appointment, handle their own finances, or interview for a job. And it's actually often the emotional need of the parent that's the problem. That's why they helicopter. The parent is living vicariously through their own child's success. I talked to one mother who tragically lost her teenage son to suicide, and she lives in one of the toniest, is that still a word, most wealthy, whatever, areas of the country. And there's a lot of pressure on those children to succeed and succeed extremely well. And guess what? The suicide rate is very high. So it's a problem, and it's even more of a problem because it can look like good parenting or engaged parenting or interested parenting, but it goes way beyond that. It's too much. A woman named Julie Lithcott-Hames, she's a former dean of freshman students at Stanford, wrote a book about it. She said, our job as a parent is to put ourselves out of a job. We need to know that our children have the wherewithal to get up in the morning and take care of themselves. So if you're still tying your six-year-old's shoes, there's a problem. She has some clues about how you know you're a helicopter parent. Some of the basic ones is to check your language. If you say we when you mean your son or your daughter, as in we're on the travel soccer team, It's a hint to yourself that you are too intertwined in your child's life in a way that's very unhealthy. The second one is to examine your interactions with the adults in your child's life. If you're arguing with their teachers or their coaches, they're not playing them enough or they're playing them too hard or whatever it happens to be, it's a sign that you're a little too invested. Encouraging or empowering your child to talk to your coach 
is what a lot of people will do unless obviously the situation is something only an adult can handle. But you've got to teach your kid to advocate for themselves. And then this third one she mentions may seem a little silly to you, but believe me, I've seen it. She says, stop doing their homework. I had a patient last year who was a kid with some special needs, but his mother did all of his papers. He didn't really even know how to work a laptop or a computer. And I looked at her and said, are you going to go to college with him? And she said, but he'll fail. And I said, but he'll learn how to succeed. He's not learning how to succeed now. Sadly, sadly, she took him out of therapy. I guess she didn't like what I had to say. Although I must admit, I tried to go very slowly. However, that happens. You're only ready when you're ready. But how can parents help their children become self-sufficient? You teach them skills they'll need in real life and give them enough leash to practice those skills on their own. You give them chores to do, things to do around the house, where they have a sense of accomplishment. They build life skills and a work ethic. So perhaps you need to look and see if your tendency is to be a helicopter parent, or are you just hovering whenever your child really needs you to? It's a good question to ask yourself. But I said in the intro, we were also going to talk about a little bit more of a psychology as I called it, terminology or an understanding of how families can be. And it's called an enmeshed family. Now, what does it mean to be enmeshed? It's really when the boundaries between members of a family aren't honored. There's too much sharing, too much neediness. Children may even get the message that it's not okay to be themselves. There are pretty strict rules about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Love can feel very conditional, meaning if I please, then I remain connected. I remain loved. If I don't please, I'm out. But the interesting thing about these families is from the outside, they can look like everybody is very happy. What it feels like on the inside is control. Let's say that you and your mom are enmeshed. What does that look like? I see a lot of college students because my office is literally about two minutes from campus. And someone who's very unhappy will say to me, there's no one to talk to. I'm not making any friends. And I'll say, well, what do you do between classes? I text mom. And I look at them and try to very kindly say, well, what about that person walking next to you? What's she or he doing? Well, of course, they may be texting as well. But if you don't reach out to mom, one question I like to ask is, what do you think you're going to get from mom in this moment that you can't give to yourself or that you might be able to receive from someone else. So again, it's getting people to look at this enmeshment, this overconnection, overdependence. The kinds of things you might hear from a parent is that you serve an emotional purpose in that parent's life. She or he will say things like, I don't know what I'd do without you. You know me better than anybody. I can't even think about you leaving. Those are all messages that a parent who needs a child too much will say. You're giving her or him the message that they're the one that can keep you calm, keep you happy. So these enmeshed relationships between parent and child, where the needs of the parent intrude upon the child growing up, they aren't in any way healthy for the adult 
or for the child. There's just not an appropriate boundary. Whole families can be like this, actually, with everyone knowing everyone else's business and feeling free to comment or have an opinion. All may be trying to fix what really isn't theirs to fix. So, for example, a child is pulled in to serve the psychological needs of a parent. Let's say to help mom stop crying or to help dad out of a bad mood. Perhaps it's the child's job to prevent the parent from drinking too much. That child can be told they're doing a great job. No one could do it better. You make me so happy. You're saving me from myself. But guess what? Inevitably, the parent becomes unhappy again because their problems are adult problems that can only truly be changed by their own actions. So the child who now feels responsible for her parent, fails. She's not special enough. He's not smart enough to fix his parent's struggles. So there's constant pressure to become more of what the parent needs and wants because you somehow believe as the child that you can make that parent happy. Let's go back to the example of helicopter parenting. What if the child doesn't become the greatest soccer player misses the basketball shot, doesn't win the pageant. They're not what their parent needs them to be. And I hate to tell you, but this can become a lifelong job and one that your parent will never allow you to quit. I remember working with a woman, let's call her Beth, who was in her mid-40s and miserable in her marriage due to severe emotional abuse. But she wouldn't consider the option of divorce because of how her mother and father, who are now much older, and very conservative religiously would react. It would kill them. I can't hurt them that much. They would never understand. That's enmeshment. I'm not describing a normal scene of asking a child to help you with a garden or giving them chores around the house. In that case, you're teaching a child about responsibility. That's what the dean of students said was a good thing to do. The kind of responsibility that enmeshed children absorb is much more complicated Again, they believe that their parents' very well-being depends on them, so they can never emotionally leave, nor can they express anger about how trapped they feel. They may look like adults on the outside, but inwardly, they doubt their own reasoning and capabilities and still feel controlled by their parents. Having a life all their own seems foreign. They'll say things to me like, I never realized that I don't make a decision without talking to my mom about it first. Or, I just assumed that I would help with my dad's business. I never gave one thought to doing something on my own. Dr. Pat Love wrote a book about this phenomenon called The Emotional Incest Syndrome, What to Do When a Parent's Love Rules Your Life. And I'll have a link to that book. It's a wonderful book. There is a more mm, complicated psychologically book called The Drama of the Gifted Child by Alice Miller. It's kind of a difficult read. It was difficult for me, especially the first half. The second half is much more easily readable. Both those books are good. But in The Emotional Incest Syndrome, Dr. Love describes the cost of this dynamic. If the parent represses the child's anger, not just once, but over and over again, a deeper injury occurs. The child will eventually dismantle her own anger response. Ultimately, it's safer to cut off a part of her being than to battle the person on whom her life depends. Wow. So, 
she cuts off her ability to own or be angry. If you were or are one of these kids, if you resonate with the above description, many people may have told you how lucky you were to have a parent that sang your praises and adored you so much. Yet you weren't given support to become your own person. You needed to be who your parent needed you to be. It's very difficult to break this bond because the quote-unquote child may likely feel extreme guilt as if you're being disloyal to not being there for that parent. The slightest bit of separation can be interpreted by the parent as abandonment, or you can feel like you're abandoning the parent. I was definitely enmeshed with my mom, and I can remember the first time a therapist called my mother manipulative. I got up and walked out of the room. I felt so disloyal. I felt like the therapist, and of course I, was being so disloyal to my parent, to my mom, that I couldn't tolerate it. I later called the therapist and apologized and said I'd obviously had this extremely dramatic reaction and that I needed to look at that reaction. She smiled and said, sure, come on back. I've now, as a therapist, worked with both parents who needed too much and their children who needed to pull away, who needed to grow. It can be accomplished, but it's going to feel odd for a while. There will be space where there was no space before. It can even seem a little lonely, oddly enough, for both. But you can finally claim your own life if you were the child. And as the parent, you could also learn how to soothe your own needs rather than counting on a child or an adult child. You know, I see who I called Beth from time to time around town. I see her at a party and her husband is nearby. She smiles at me, but she never speaks. And there's sadness in her eyes. I can only hope that things are better for her. You rarely get permission to separate yourself from a parent who needs you too much. You may have to give yourself that gift. And it's okay to want your own life. Here's our email from a listener today. I'm unsure if I have perfectly hidden depression or not. This is due to the fact that I'm only 14 years old, a teenager. And because of this, I cannot be sure if it's perfectly hidden depression or teenage hormones. I took your questionnaire and answered positively on around 20 of them and only on two negatively, while the rest of the answers were sometimes. I also read the list of 10 characteristics a PhD person might have, and I have 9 out of 10. I hope I'm not wasting your time, but I'd be really thankful if you could provide me with an answer. Wasn't that nice? I'm featuring this email because of cases like I reported earlier in this podcast. Teenagers can hide depression, and they can hide it very well. They can look incredibly talented, incredibly successful, like they have no care in the world, but be texting someone when they're in bed at night that they're thinking about suicide. It's so important to realize this. So here is my answer to her email. Certainly, teenagers can have depression, and they can be beginning to show the characteristics of hiding it. You're on target as well with the idea that sometimes it's difficult to know whether or not 
what a teenager is experiencing is depression or quote unquote being a teenager. But personally, as a therapist, I never like to assume that it's the latter. I'd highly encourage you to talk with a parent or parents about what you're experiencing. If for some reason they're not open to listening, then talk to a school counselor. Depression can be very real and very serious for teens, and it's important to reach out if you're a teen who doesn't look depressed. That reaching out can be even more important. Now, you may have to explain more completely what you're going through so the adult you're talking to will actually get it. And if you answered yes to some of the questionnaire questions about abuse, then getting help is even more vital. So please talk to an adult, a teacher, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, if not your own parents, but someone. Thanks for reaching out. I have a couple of podcast episodes about children and depression. If for some reason you believe that children don't get depressed, then please listen to those podcasts. There's all kinds of new research about this generation that's coming up, that they're more isolated, they're less likely to drink and have sex, but they're more likely to kill themselves. So we've got to tune in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Self Work. There are lots of ways you can reach out to me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. You can email me, as many of you are, and it's absolutely wonderful, at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. It is confidential. I'm the only one who will see your email, and I will get back with you. I got an email last week, one from Mexico City, one from England. It's really wonderful hearing from people from all over the world, because I get to know who you are. The only thing my stats show me is where you're from. That's it. I love new ideas for podcasts as well. As I said at the beginning of the show, I'd love it if you left me a rating or review that is very gratifying and motivating. And of course, I'd love for you to subscribe. You can do that either on my website and get a weekly newsletter with blog posts and podcasts, or you can do it wherever you listen. There are now thousands of you that are doing that. And it's so great to know that there are people who actually subscribe because they want to know what the next podcast might be on. And speaking of that, (laughs) the next episode will actually be about misconceptions about therapy, hurdles that people put up for themselves about coming in to either individual or couples work. I'm going to specifically talk about couples work a little more because I know that so many people have the wrong idea about what it is. So maybe I can educate a little bit and motivate. Thanks so much for listening. Take good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this is Self Work.